Welcome to the Mana Church Stafford Podcast, where we're all about equipping God's people to change their world. We are thankful you are here and pray this message encourages you to love God, love others, and love the world more fervently than before. Now, let's get to it.
Anybody ever afraid of the dark? You get irrational fears. And that's what happens when you're depressed. You, you, your mind doesn't really work the way that God made it to work. And I think everybody has experienced depression at least some level. And I've said this before, I am not a mental health professional. I am married to one. But the Bible does have something to say on this topic. And I'm a professional that deals with what the Word of God says, and I want to share that with you today. And it's a really human thing to go through. Depression is a human thing. In fact, we're talking about Elijah. One of the things the book of James says is Elijah was a man like us. He was human. And wow, he dealt with depression. So it's something that, that's common to us. If, you, if you're dealing with it, it's not because you're weak, and it's not because God doesn't love you. It's not because you're a failure in life. That's not why you're dealing with it. In fact, and we're not even saying that you shouldn't get medical help because sometimes that might be exactly what you need. What we're going to do today, though, is we're going to share lessons from God's Word about how we can step out of the cave. And today we're going to talk about stepping into the light. So I'm going to pick up the story where we left off. We're talking about Elijah the prophet. And just to give you a little bit of context, he's had two major victories leading into this time where he goes into the cave. I don't have time to go into all of them. He's been a huge, he's been a part of this huge miracle God did. You can read about it in 1 Kings chapter 18. It's super cool. Um, he, he had like fire came down from heaven, consumed this offering that he set before God. There were these false prophets. Their God didn't answer. And so what happened was the whole nation of Israel turned to God. They put to death all these bad prophets. And then he prayed. He had actually prayed and it had caused a drought for three and a half years. And he prayed again and, and the heavens gave rain and, and it started to rain back on the nation of Israel again. All these amazing things happened. He is at a high. He is on a mountaintop. The thing is, when you're on a mountaintop, you're actually vulnerable to depression because what goes up must come down. And when you have these big swings like this, you're actually, you're actually vulnerable. And so what happens is the king's wife, Ahab the king, his wife Jezebel, who happened to follow all those prophets who just lost, she sent a messenger to him and she said, listen, I'm going to make you just like all those prophets you killed. She didn't even send somebody to kill him. She just sent somebody to threaten him. And it sent him off the deep end. It sent him into depression. In fact, this is what happens. His world falls apart. 1 Kings 19, verse 3 to 4. It says, Then he was afraid, and he rose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. First mistake. But he went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It's enough now, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my father. This is, this is how low he got after the high that he was on. We talked about in week one how we get into the cave. Today we're going to talk about how we get out. If you want to go back through that, we, we had six things. One, life imbalances. Two, comparing ourselves with others. That's what he did. Three, ruminating and self-talk. Repeating negative things to ourselves. Number four, the inability to process pain in a healthy way. Number five, isolation and loneliness. And then the last one is spiritual warfare. Sometimes we're we got there's spirits that don't like us. They want to hurt us. And sometimes they attack us. Those things lead us into the cave of depression. But today, we're going to talk about how to get out and how to step into the light. Amen? Amen. Alright. 1 Kings 19, going on to verse 5. This is what it says he did. He laid down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank, and he laid down again. And the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great. 
great for you. And he rose and ate and drank, and he went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. The first thing you need to do to get out of the cave is you need to step into a needed recovery. Notice it said he was strengthened by the food that he ate. We often say here that God made you on purpose for a purpose. Well, in order to walk in your purpose, you've got to be able to walk. You've got to be able to move. You can't be completely out of energy. You've got to have energy. And another way to say that would be that God is pouring you out on the missions that you have in life. And you actually will feel depressed when you don't fulfill your calling and your purpose. But if your cup's always empty, you can't be poured out because there's nothing to pour out. And he was empty. So, so context for this story, you don't catch it unless you do a little bit of math and some geography just prior to this situation where he gets so depressed. He has this crazy encounter on the mountaintop where, where, where fire from God comes down. He actually ran 17 miles ahead of King Ahab. The dude ran 17 miles. Anybody here a marathon runner? No, we have no marathon runners in this church full of physically fit people. Wow, okay, we got one. We got one. All right, good. My wife's ran a few marathons. She actually beat me at one of them. I, I, I don't, don't mind saying that. She's awesome. Um, so he ran 17 miles ahead of Ahab to Jezreel. Then, as if that wasn't enough, he runs from there again to Beersheba, which is 120 miles. Okay, so he does 17 miles, 120 miles, then he goes another 120 miles. Before he gets this encounter with the angel, it is estimated that he ran about 300 miles. That's a long ways. Dude was exhausted. And what's amazing is the first thing that God did for him in order to bring him out of his depression is, is God met his physical needs. He ministered to what he needed physically. He ate, he drank. And passed out. He slept. He was strengthened by the food. I'm going to tell you, when my dad died, I was exhausted. I was wiped out. I had spent days at the hospital. I, I cried more tears than I knew I had in my head. I, my mind would not shut off. I couldn't stop things going through my head. I had decision fatigue. Anybody have that? Moms and dads, that, that's a thing. By the end of the day, when your kids ask you something simple and you're like, I don't, I don't know. Can't even formulate words. You're just done. Decision fatigue. I had that. I was making all kinds of decisions about what my mom and my sister had to do for the funeral, for, for, for life insurance policies, for where she was going to live, for all these things. I was wiped out. And we might expect that the angel of the Lord would come to him at this point and would, would deliver this spiritual message to him. Given this word of God that we're just blown away like, yo, get up, Elijah. Get up. You're the prophet of the Lord. Come on, man. This isn't who you are. That's not what the angel did. He doesn't say any of those things. In fact, what he does is he takes care of Elijah's physical needs. And can I, can I tell you, can I just encourage you today, if you're not dealing with depression, if you're not dealing with anxiety, if you're not wiped out, you may have people around you and you know exactly what it is that they need in order to fix their situation. You know what is causing their depression. They've made some bad decisions. They, 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 they've had some, some circumstances thrust on them from outside. You know what it is that's going to fix it. And you want to tell them what they need to do to fix it. 
Husbands, you probably, you probably know this. We do this with our wives all the time. They come to us and they're wiped out and they're, they're telling us all their issues. In fact, if Jake today could go back to Jake, you know, 15 years ago when we had little babies running around our house, lots of little babies running around our house. I tell you, I would get up, I would go to work, Danielle would be in bed, the babies would be in bed. I'm like, oh, life is so good. I'm so bummed. I'm leaving them. I'm going to base. I'm going to go do my thing. I come back. And she's not her happy self anymore. She's not smiling, all chipper. The kids are happy, but she's wiped out. And I'm like, what's your problem? Why aren't you happy? The thing was, I didn't see all the things that she had to deal with. I didn't see that she had been dealing with crying kids. She'd been nursing crying kids. She'd been pooped on. She'd had all kinds of messes. She tried to keep her from killing each other, from falling down the stairs. She'd answered a thousand questions. She'd made three meals that they'd thrown at her half of them and eaten half of them. It was a mess. I walk in and I'm expecting her to be like, oh, honey, you're home. And that is not at all what I get. Because she's wiped out. She's, she's low. I'm going to tell you that sometimes we have those people and they think they're in our lives and they're dealing with some stuff and they're at a low point and we can't understand what's going on. And, and sometimes they just, need to, they just need us to listen to them and they need us to help them get some of that energy back like this angel did for Elijah. I mean, this guy had just traveled 300 miles. I think he deserves a little bit of slack. I think he, it's okay for him to feel just a little bit low. And some of you have been in that exact same place. You've been going and going and going, and you know that you're not emotionally well. And I'm going to tell you, when I was praying about this message, I feel like this, this specific thing, and I know we talked about it a little bit in week two, but I, I, I just felt like this was something that people needed to hear today. You know you're not emotionally well. Or maybe you're holding on, but you are close to a break. You're close to a spot where you're about to lose it. And you feel it. And what I believe the word of the Lord for you is today is slow down. Just slow down. You need to slow down a little bit. Take a break. Eat a snack. Then take a nap. And then guess what? When you wake up from that nap, do just like he did. Eat another snack and take another nap. That's what some of you need to do today. You've been going too hard for too long. Just take a breather. If you're depressed, the starting point for you, the, the first step is to get in shape physically. And maybe that's just watching your diet. I know when, when, I, when I am just not taking care of my body, I am definitely prone to feeling bad about myself. When I don't sleep well, same thing. Prone to feeling bad about myself. All those things happen. When I haven't been outside enough, get some sunlight. It, it, it happens. Our God made our bodies in a very unique way. And here's the thing. Motions affect our emotions. They do. They, 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 they tie it together. And if you say it a different way, if I don't prioritize my life, someone else will. If you don't prioritize the things that are happening in your life, somebody else is going to do it for you. Psalm 90 says this. Teach us to number our days and recognize how few they are. Help us to spend them as we should. That doesn't mean going, 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 going. It doesn't always mean that. So, so the psalmist here is appealing to God to say, help me recognize I've only got this many days on this earth. 
Teach me to spend them the way that you should tell me to spend them. I, I often talk to people who, who, who are overwhelmed with their life and overwhelmed with all the things that they do. And sometimes they, they hate the answer that I give them. Because what I tell them is, yeah, you've got a lot of things and you're not going to be able to get all of them accomplished. And they're like, well, how do I, how do I know which ones to do? And, and the best advice I can give them, besides sitting down and prioritizing it, is talk to God. Ask him what he says you should do. Do exactly that. Don't do a bit more and don't do a bit less. If you do that, you're going to be great. And then you need to, you need to release the rest of it. That's what he says. Teach us to number our days. Help us spend them as we should. Ask God that, Lord, help me spend my day the way I'm supposed to spend it. Some of you guys got a, got a list this long and you need to draw a cut line where God says to draw the cut line and let the rest go. So Elijah was strengthened by the food, and look what happens. In verse 9, we're picking it back up. It says, there he came to a cave, and he lodged in it. So he goes on this journey after he gets strengthened with his food. He's still depressed. He's not out of the cave. And behold, the word of the Lord comes to him. So this is the Holy Spirit. is speaking to Elijah's spirit. And the spirit said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Here's the thing. God didn't need Elijah to tell him what he was doing there. God knew what Elijah was doing there. But he asked him, Anyways, and sometimes God just wants us to take inventory of a reality and express it. And just, just give some breath to it. Like, I know this is what I've been doing. So here's what he says. Elijah says, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars. they killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And God said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord wasn't in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. So this all happens on Mount Horeb. This is uh, just another name for Mount Sinai. If you guys remember Mount Sinai, it's a place where Moses got the Ten Commandments. It's a place where the Israelites, when they left Egypt, they were supposed to go there and worship God. It's called the Mountain of God. That's, that's this same place. And what God gave Elijah is the second step that a lot of us need to take in our fight against depression. We need to step into a God encounter. God told Elijah, I got, I got something I want to show you. He showed him this crazy fireworks. He showed him an earthquake. All this crazy stuff is happening. And then Elijah had seen all that stuff before. I mean, he was familiar with dynamic things that God had done. He'd seen the fire of God fall from heaven. He'd seen God move in miraculous, powerful ways. Just on Mount Carmel, he'd seen it 300 miles earlier. Isn't it interesting, though, that God's presence, it came in just a still, small voice. That's the way it connected with him. See, we're looking for God sometimes in the dynamic, but God is in the infinite. That's where he is. That's where he wants to meet us. And there is no substitute for the power and the presence of God. It is the single greatest antidepressant there is. If you can get a fresh awareness of God's presence in your life, I guarantee it will change you. That's why we worship in the morning. Well, we worship because God deserves it. Amen? Like, he deserves our praise, doesn't he? He is worthy but we get something out of it every single time. We, we always get something out of it. it. You cannot come into contact with God's presence and it not change you. And we want God to do the spectacular. 
all the time. But sometimes he would just rather whisper to us. He would just rather speak to us quietly. If you're dealing with depression, I just want to encourage you that the next step you need to take after you get healthy a little bit is you need to cultivate an encounter with God. Cultivate experiences in His presence because you need it. You've got to create environments where you can get close to God. I've told you guys before, but it's worth saying again. I, I do this. I have to do this because I feel it if I don't. And I did it before I was pastor kid, so don't just think, well, yeah, you do it because you're a preacher. I go to the mountains. I go, I get by myself. Um, and sometimes when I can't do that, I have a trail that's near my house, and I go out and I get alone. In the woods, I try to get away from as much sound as I can because I want everything else to be quiet. And, and that's one of the reasons we feed our body first. Because when your body is so loud because it's screaming at you that you need sleep, you need food, you need all these things, you have a hard time hearing the presence of God. And when the world is so loud, you've got to cultivate a moment with God's presence. Go get by yourself. Lock yourself in a room where nobody else is going to find you. Turn your phone off. Amen? Turn the thing off. Because you're going to be you're going to be sitting there, you're going to be having a moment with God. What? What? Oh, somebody sent me a Facebook message. Oh, somebody just posted this on Instagram. Oh my gosh, I gotta look at that. And your your ADD mind will get sidetracked and it will take you away from a moment that you're having with God. Psalm 46:10 says this, be still and know that I'm God. Be still. I'm going to say this one other thing to us. Some of us are dealing with depression. This is kind of an aside. But <clears throat> some of, sometimes when we deal with depression, we bring it on ourselves. And it's because we have unconfessed sin. We have things that we've done that have separated us from God. And we're just, we're just not expressing it. It's a real thing. Proverbs 28, 13, it says this, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper. But, there's a promise on the other side of that, that he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. There's liberty in Jesus. And some, some of us here have things that are keeping us from a connection with God. And you want to confess it, you want to get it out, but you're just not able to. And God wants you to be liberated, but that thing is making you feel so heavy cannot experience his presence. Psalms 32 says this. It says, For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. So you can feel that. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. I acknowledged my sin to you and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. There is freedom in confession. When some of you are dealing with depression, it's directly tied to your lack of confession. First John 1 9 says this if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Pastor Michael talked last week about his brother who lived an unrepentant life, his entire life, and just days before he died, he accepted Jesus. He didn't know he was dying. Days before he died, he accepted Jesus, and he just said, Man, I just feel clean inside. And some of you need that. You're feeling depression and you just need to feel clean. I'm going to tell you, it's on the other side of confession and repentance. Let's pick back up with Elijah. Let's hear what, he, what happens to him after he hears God's voice and he encounters his presence. Starting in verse, verse nine, uh, 13, it says, When Elijah heard 
a still small voice. He wrapped his face in a cloak, and he went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? This is the same thing that he said to him earlier. And Elijah says back to him the exact same thing that he said before. I've been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even only I, am left. It's like he thought God didn't hear him the first time. And they seek my life to take it away. If you're not listening to me, God, I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. I think it's important to notice that he was not yet out of the cave. He's at the mouth of the cave. Okay, so he's still got some work to do to get into this new place. He pulled his cloak over his face. He's almost hiding from God. He's hiding his identity from God. He's covered himself up. And he gives the same complaint, which wasn't true, by the way. It was a lie that he believed. He said, I'm the only one left. And they're trying to kill me. It's just not true. He wasn't the only one left. And God, God tells him later. He had a flawed understanding of himself and reality, and that's step three. We need to step into a true identity. Kelly talked about this stepson. She talked about cards. She had us exchange things that we thought, put those up on the cross. How many of you did that? You hung the card up there. It's been two weeks since you did it, and you've already forgotten what you hung up there and left. You started walking back in it again. I know that happens. We're fickle people. And some of us, we just need to continue to step into that identity. We live in a generation of narcissism, poor self-esteem. Social media amplifies it like a thousand percent. It's a recipe for complete mental breakdown. And some of you live from a place of trauma, actually, and you don't even realize it. And one of the things I learned being a very good counselor and also from my studies on this is that most of us have no idea how deeply traumatic events actually affect us. There's a book called The Body Keeps Score. I heard Danielle mention it. Uh, Pastor Chris Hodges mentions it. It's by Dr. Bessel van der Kolk. And it describes how traumatic events that we've experienced can actually get stuck in our brain and in our body. And, and it, it affects what we process and feel on a daily basis. So instead of being a memory that we can go back to and appropriately process, what happens is those traumatic events, they become this filter that we use to process things that are happening in real time. So, so what, what happens is it, it manifests in daily life like this. So if you experience the trauma of a car accident, let's say, you might have the natural feeling of anxiety every single time you get in a car. And you know you're not going to get in a car accident, but every single time you get in a car, what happens is your muscles actually get tense, your pulse starts to beat a little bit faster, you start to sweat, you, you, you shake maybe. That's because your body remembers the trauma of that. Even though in your mind it's not rational for you to feel that way, your body remembers. Or maybe, maybe it was something else. Maybe, maybe you're a, a victim of domestic violence. In one way or another, maybe when you're a kid, maybe in a husband-wife relationship. And every single time somebody raises their voice, you, you just get small. You feel it happen. And you can't control it, but your body's keeping score, and it's reminding you of this trauma that you experienced. And, and the reactions that are completely outside of you. So one of the things, one of the things is that, that God wants you to be free from that. 
Uh, one of the things that my, my, my wife did, and actually a couple people from our church did, and we're going to do here, is we're going we're to start a thing called Freedom Groups. So it's a ministry, and some of you just need deliverance from some of that trauma you've experienced. And so if you're interested in that, we have it's a 12-week course. It's fantastic. It's going to encourage you. It's going to help you be freed from some of this baggage that you're carrying around. You may not even realize you're carrying it around. And so if you're interested in that, I encourage you to talk to Danielle. She's wearing the white sweater. Can you raise your hand, Mom? Yep. No, that was like the smallest hand raise ever. Talk to her after service or go to the Connection Center and just have them write your name down because we're putting together a list of people who might be interested in that. So an incorrect identity, it'll do the same thing to us that it did to Elijah. It's going to make us believe in a narrative that isn't true. The only one qualified to define you is the one who made you. Amen? God is the only one qualified to tell you what your identity is. And when you know who you are, your feelings might lag behind, but eventually they're going to catch up to reality. In our world, we got it backwards. We tell ourselves to let our feelings define us. Don't we do that? God knows the truth, though. And I felt the same way as well. It's easy to get caught up in it when, um, when my dad died. I lost the person who believed in me the most. He was always there. He's always cheering me on. He's always challenging me. And he was, he was probably the person in life I most closely resembled. And it was like, it was like a big chunk of my soul was just gone. And I felt completely alone. I felt by myself. felt isolated. But the truth was, I wasn't alone. There were tons of people around me who wanted to encourage me. I had an amazing woman that I was engaged to. And she dropped everything and came out and she spent a week with me in Kansas, Nowhereville, Kansas. A little bit of map dot town. At a Walmart and a McDonald's when we thought we made it. She came and spent a week there with me. I had roommates from college who missed one of the most significant parts of, of our senior year when we got to find out what service and what warfare community we were a part of. They skipped that to come out and be with me. They spent four days with me there to be a part of the funeral for my dad. I was so loved. And then four months later, when we had our wedding and I had graduation, there were dozens of people from my hometown who took their vacation and their time and their family and they drove all the way from Kansas to Annapolis, Maryland to be a part of our wedding, to be a part of commissioning week there. I was so loved, but I'm telling you in that moment, I didn't feel that. I couldn't see it. I, I had this, I, that was an identity that I believed about myself. It just wasn't true. And it took a minute for me to step into that, but now man, I get so much strength from knowing that my identity wasn't what I thought it was. God knows what your identity is. Elijah felt alone, he felt unseen by God, he felt inferior to previous prophets. But watch how God responds. He, God actually doesn't even address Elijah's complaints. I think that's so cool. But he gives him a command that's directly tied to Elijah's identity. Verse 15, the Lord says to him, without even talking about all the things that Elijah just said, what God says to him is, go, return on your way. Just go back the way you just came. Go to the wilderness of Damascus. When, Damascus, when you arrive, Anoint this guy to be king over Syria. Anoint Jehu to be king over Israel. Elisha to be the prophet in your place. And the one who escapes the sword from Hazel, Hazel, Jehu will put to death. And the one who escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and in every mouth that has not kissed him. Here's the fourth thing you need to do when you're in depression to help you get out of the gate before the step. 
you've got to step into a new assignment. If, if there's one thing that is going to make it easiest to get out of the cave of depression, this is going to be it. You've got to have a project. You've got to have something to work on, a dream, a vision. Walk in your identity. It's going to be something that's directly related to who God made you to be and your purpose in life. The, the word says, Proverbs 29, 18, it says this, where there is no vision, the people perish. I know some of you, you feel that inside, deep. When you don't have a purpose in life, when you don't have a mission, when you don't have a vision, you feel it. You feel lost. You feel like, what am I even doing here? Why did God even make me? I'm not adding to anything. I'm not productive. I talked about Viktor Frankl in week one with his logo therapy. It's one of the things that he discovered. And logo means meaning. That's actually what it literally means. So it's meaning therapy. If anybody had a reason to be depressed, it was Viktor Frankl. He was a student of psychology, neurology, philosophy, and psychiatry. He was in Vienna in his mid-30s when World War II broke out. And what he did was he risked his life to prevent psychiatric patients from being euthanized by the Nazis. It's pretty amazing. Uh, during the, the time, he finished a manuscript on logotherapy, and he titled it The Doctor and the Soul. He met and married his wife, Tilly Grosser. Uh, she got pregnant in 1941. They're both Jewish. The Nazis actually forced Tilly to abort their child. In 1942, they were arrested by the Nazis along with his parents. The manuscript for his life work, The Doctor and the Soul, was destroyed as a part of his arrest. His father died of exhaustion just a couple months after being in prison. In 1943, they'd been there for a couple years. Uh, they were sent to the concentration camp in Auschwitz-Birkenau. You guys know that's a pretty, pretty bad place. Him and his wife, uh, unbeknownst to him there, his mother was actually killed in a gas chamber while he was there. Uh, he and his wife were separated. They got sent to different camps. He got sent to a labor camp. She got sent somewhere else. He didn't know where. And he finished the war there, isolated from all his family. In 1945, after allies had liberated his prison, he traveled back to Vienna in the hopes of reuniting with all his family. Instead, he was informed that not only had his mother and father died, but he also lost his brother, he lost his brother's wife, and his own wife, Tilly. They'd all been killed at the end of the Victor Frankl had every reason to feel depressed and give up at that point. Nobody would have blamed him if he would have just called it quits. That's actually not what he did. He took a position immediately as a head of neurology in Vienna. <clears throat> He threw himself into the mental health field. He rewrote his manuscript after it was so well received. He continued his studies. He wrote another book called Man's Search for Meaning. He wrote it in nine days. It's considered the preeminent work on human suffering and our condition. He remarried. He had a daughter. He actually worked with Holocaust survivors who were suicidal specifically. I said this in, in week one. He had a 100% success rate. Not a single one of them committed suicide because he knew that meaning was tied to their therapy. They had to find something in life that meant something for them to pour themselves into that would be 
to their healing. This is one of his famous quotes. He said, people have enough to live by, but nothing to live for. They have the means, but no meaning. And sometimes when you're depressed, that's how you feel. You have the means, you know how to do things, but you just don't know what to do. I think it's interesting that God never addressed the issues Elijah brought up. God went back to Elijah's calling. He told him to go back the way he came. He told him to go back to Beersheba. Beersheba actually literally means the place of the oath. Beersheba would have been the place where Elijah received his first call as a prophet from God. And God reminded him of who he was. He reminded him, I know you feel low now. I know you feel broken. I know you feel depressed. Go back the way that you came. Some of you are dealing with frustration and depression in life, and you just gotta be reminded, man, God made you on purpose. He made you for a purpose. He's got great things for you. You need to remember that first passion that you had for him. You need to be reminded of that. That that time when you just had a burning in your soul to love and serve Jesus with all of your mind. You were purely focused on the eternal and the stuff here that was temporal didn't, didn't weigh so heavily on you. Having a focused heart with a clear assignment, it helps the pain. The quickest way to defeat depression is to start looking at the needs of other people. It, actually, it, it is the quickest way to get out of it. So get in a ministry where you're giving out, where God's giving to you, where you're being poured out. This is the last step, step number five. Verse 19, it says, Elijah departed from there, and he found Elisha, son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was with the twelve. Elijah passed by him and he threw his cloak over him. Elijah found a friend. That's step number five. You've got to step into relational strength. Isolation is the perfect recipe for depression. I've talked to people who are depressed in, in ministry. And I'm going to tell you, every single one of them, they're isolating themselves. That's what they do. That's what the enemy loves. Remember the first sin. The first imperfection in creation, it was in Genesis. God said, man, mm, it's not good that man's alone. That was the, that was the first mistake or, or, or issue that God corrected in creation. He designed us to be together. He designed us to be with each other. I know he specifically designed me for that too. I know that. When I'm not around people enough, I, there's something in me that feels broken. And so I've designed systems to help me be close to people. I've got groups of guys I meet with every other week. I've got groups of families that my family does life with. We have small groups that we connect with spiritually. I have those things in place. And when I am not around God's people enough, I feel it. And I bet you feel it too. Elijah, he never, we never read of him walking alone again in his life. In fact, at the end of his life, he actually told Elisha. I think it's so cool. He told Elisha, hey, just wait here. He tried to leave him and go. To, to his last moment with God, because Elijah, Elijah actually didn't die, he got taken up to heaven. So he tried to leave Elisha, and Elisha was like, no, 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 I'm going to keep going with you. He kept going, he tried to leave Elisha again, he's like, no, 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 I'm going to keep going with you. Tried to leave him again, Elisha just stuck by his side until the bitter end. And we never read of Elijah being depressed again. He always had somebody to give him that relational strength. We talk about that all the time here at Manor. That's why we're a small group's church. Kevin Eikenberry, he's a leadership coach, and he said this. He said, look carefully at the closest associations in your life, for that 
direction you're headed, who you connected with. That's going to let you know where you're going. That's why we're a church of groups. That's why we believe so much in small groups. So today, as we're closing, I just I just want to I just want to pray for you. Can I do that? Is that okay? So if you guys could just do me a favor, just bow your heads. I'm going to say a prayer over all of us today. And then we got something really cool we're going to do right after this. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, God of heaven, God of earth, God of Elisha, God of Elijah, God, thank you for what you've done for me when I was the person. Thank you for ministering to me, Lord. Thank you for ministering to our church as we walk through the series on mental health, Lord. I pray that this week, Lord, this month, rest of this year that you would just remind us of the truth and the lessons that we've learned, God, the ones we learned today, the ones we've learned through your word, God, I pray that you would, you would help us be keen to triggers that might send us into depressive states, God, and help us actively apply things to get us out of the cave of depression, God. Lord, we trust you, we love you, God, we just give you all the praise for leading us out of that place, Leading us into a place of joy, leading us into a place of freedom, leading us into a place of purpose, and leading us into a place of relationship. God, we love you, Lord. We love you. Thank you for being here, And every single person who's dealing with this, God, you would set them free right now in Jesus' name. And everybody said. Thank you for listening to the Mana Church Stafford podcast. If you would like to connect with us, you can find us on the web at manastafford.church or download the Mana Church app. To listen to our new episodes as they become available, make sure to subscribe to our podcast. We would also love to meet you in person. If you are local, our services take place each Sunday at 10 a.m. We pray you have a blessed week and we will see you next time.